Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Today, we'll be listening to Pastor Kong as he shares about fireproofing your faith. You know, the last four years have been filled with pressures and stress and, and we are stretched to the very max as a church, as a ministry. We are hard-pressed on every side. And what I'm sharing with you is not something foreign. You experience it. You've been here. So many have asked me and said, Kong, how do you manage to cope in the midst of all this? How do you keep on smiling and keep on going in the midst of a crisis? So I want to share with you how I kept my sanity, how pastor is able to, not to break down, have a nervous breakdown, and how I managed to keep my peace of mind and my walk with Jesus Christ intact. So I have a secret help. I have a secret agent that's always helping me with the latest intel and the latest advice, and he is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I want to talk to you tonight on the Holy Spirit. I started this series by talking about worship, and then I talk about the Word of God, and then I talk about prayer. And tonight, I want to share with you my best friend, my secret helper, the Holy Spirit. The first time Jesus openly talked about him was in John chapter 14. The disciples were worried, they were fearful, they were troubled, because Jesus shared with them, I'm going to get betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified on the cross. They were so troubled. So in John 14, remember Jesus says, don't let your soul be troubled. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to prepare many mansions for you. And then further down in John 14 and verse 16, and I put it in your outline tonight, verse 16 and verse 17, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Three things about the Holy Spirit from this passage. Now remember, this is the first time Jesus reveals his secret friend. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And I like this word very much, and you could understand why in a few moments. The old King James translation used the word comforter. So he's the one that's going to comfort you. He's the one that's going to console you. So that tells me one thing. It tells me regardless of how strong you may feel today, how successful you may be in your career, in your ministry, well, there will be moments where you will feel weak. There will be moments you're going to be heartbroken. There's going to be moments you're going to feel sad. Things may happen in your job, in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage. And that's the moment you need the Holy Spirit to come and help you and lift you up when you're frail. That's the moment you need Him to come alongside you, to console you and comfort you when there are tears in your eyes, when you begin to feel broken up on the inside. Well, the Holy Spirit, He's your helper, He's your comforter. But the new In the national version, the NIV Bible, the never incorrect version, it says he's your advocate. That means he's your litigator. He's your lawyer. And let me tell you, for me, that is so wonderful to hear. (laughs) The original word in Greek is the word parakletos. One called, or somebody called to one's side. Now, the whole picture of this has to do with a court trial. You are the defendant, and the prosecutor is hard-pressing you with accusations and words, and you're at a loss. You don't know what to say, how to respond. And so there in court, you look out, and you see a familiar face. It's a face of a friend who is very intelligent, who is very influential, and you call him out, Parakletos, you call out. 
the person make the way through the crowds, come and stand alongside you and defend you and to fight for your case to win. Now, that is what it means to be a paracletos. The Holy Spirit coming alongside as your helper, your consoler, your comforter, and He's fighting to win your case for you as your litigator, as your advocate. Now, that is exactly what it means, your paracletos. Everybody say paracletos. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Say, hey, wait a minute. Jesus is the advocate. Holy Spirit is the advocate. Well, Jesus has the first chair. He's seated on His throne at the right hand of the Father, fighting your case for you. The Holy Spirit takes the second chair. He takes the chair on the earth, coming against Satan the devil, fighting the case on your behalf. So you have two chairs. One fighting for you in heaven, one fighting for you on the earth. In that case, you can never lose in life. God is on your side. Now, so the Holy Spirit is your advocate with one exception. As a second chair, He is not inferior to Jesus, the first chair. In fact, He is exactly the same as Jesus Christ. Exactly the same as Jesus Christ. Jesus says that the Heavenly Father will give you another helper. Another helper. Very powerful word. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have another helper. (laughs) Now remember, the disciples were very nervous. Jesus, you're not going to be around. Jesus, you're going to get betrayed, arrested, crucified. Jesus, they're worried. Rightfully so. Because the one that they love, the one they've been following, is going to be taken away. Jesus says, don't fear. Don't worry. Do not be troubled because I will send you another helper. The word another in Greek is alos. Someone of the exact same kind and nature. Someone who is exactly like me in kind and in my divine nature. You won't even miss me. It's as good as I'm there personally with you. You see, it's like I have never left you because He's exactly like me. So when Jesus said in the Great Commission, for lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the age, how is He able to keep that promise when He's seated at the right hand of the Father? He kept it through the Holy Spirit. You see, He will abide with you forever. Verse 16, I will never leave you. He will abide with you. So that is why today on the earth, as we live our lives, we call the Holy Spirit Lord. We have a Lord that is seated at the right hand of the Father. But here in this life, we have a Lord on the earth. And He is the Holy Spirit. Now, that is why 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5, very interesting. It says, Now may the Lord, and here it's referring to the Holy Spirit, direct your hearts into the love of God, your Heavenly Father, and into the patience of Christ, Jesus the Son. So here, the Lord is helping you relate to God the Father and to give you perseverance in Jesus Christ the Son. Who is the Lord? The Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit is Lord. I I love 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. That is why we want the Holy Spirit to be in every circumstance. We want Him to be in our church, to be in our cell group, 
to be in our family, our marriage, our offices, where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom from sin. There is freedom from corruption. There is freedom from all kinds of trouble. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Oh, come on, give the Holy Spirit a big hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So you can imagine, the disciples loved Jesus dearly. They will miss him. No, Jesus, please don't go away. Jesus, this can't be happening. Simon Peter was so afraid. He said, no, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross to die. Because if you go, what will happen to us? You see, they said, we will miss you. We don't want you to go. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, your paracletos, I will send him to help you. Now, what could possibly be the advantage? I mean, we all love Jesus. We want him to be around. You're not around. What could be the advantage of that? Well, Jesus gave us the answer. He says, now is to your advantage that I go because now God can dwell with you and finally God can be inside you. God can be in you. That is the advantage. You see, as Jehovah God, He is our Heavenly Father above us. Right? We pray to our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Our Heavenly Father dwells in heaven. As Jesus, the Son, He is Emmanuel, God with us. I have God above us. I have God with us. But as the Paracletos, He can be God in us. God living inside me. That means He's not just above me. He's not just around me, besides me. He's inside me. Now the Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. He thinks like Jesus. He speaks like Jesus. He feels like Jesus. So if God is living inside me, I can sense what Jesus is thinking. I can hear what Jesus is speaking. I can feel how Jesus feels. I can sense Him on the inside of me every single day. That is our advantage. Do you know this is something that the Old Testament saints, they could only dream about this. But they can never experience it until Jesus died for us on the cross. He went up to heaven and He sent us the Holy Spirit. We are living in an age of the Spirit that all the Old Testament saints could only dream about. As great as David's life was, as great as Abraham's life was, as great as Moses' life was, they all are very jealous of us because now we have God on the inside. We can feel how He feels. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Amen. So when the Holy Spirit is around, you know He's there. You can sense Him. You can feel Him. Hearts begin to melt. Tears begin to flow down your eyes. His presence sometimes is so real. You begin to tremble. Your hair stands on end. Sometimes the glory is so strong, your knees begin to buckle. And you fall under the power of God. Unfortunately, for too long, the church has reduced Christianity to a non-feeling entity. Oh, don't feel, don't sense, just know in your head. Everything becomes dry. Everything becomes theoretical. God is reduced to nothing more than just a figure of philosophy, a code of conduct. Do this, do that, do this, do that if you want to be a Christian. But friends, listen, what we are left with is not faith, but just dry philosophy. True faith is always experiential. True faith helps you to experience God in a very real way. The first time I experienced the presence of God, I was just a little boy. I was just a little over 11 years old, just a little kid. 
Well, I was having my school holidays, and I was just cycling along in my neighborhood. I, I live in Katong. I'm a Katong boy, just in front of Juche. When I was growing up, you know, I mean, there was no Marine Parade when I was growing up. Marine Parade was just the sea. It was being reclaimed eventually. I, I used to remember as a little boy, my daddy would take me to cycle by the beach. And the beach ends at where Parkway Parade is standing right now. Or the beach begins where Parkway Parade is, is standing right now. I was paddling in the neighborhood, and I noticed that there were a lot of business people walking towards a building. It's, it's the tallest hotel in the Katong area called the Sea View Hotel. I noticed that they were all wearing shirt and tie. Some of them are in jackets. Now, I want to tell you, in the 1970s, Singapore is so hot, nobody wears suit and tie unless it's a very important function because we do not have a lot of air conditioning. Now, I was in my T-shirt, shorts, and slippers. And so I got very curious. My curiosity got the better of me. I began to paddle and went into the hotel. I got so bold. I, I must be bold as a little boy. I was shy, but I was bold. I, I don't know how to fix that one out. But anyway... I, I walked through, this is the first time I stepped into the hotel by myself in my singlet shorts and slippers. And I walked through the concierge, followed those businessmen, and went up to the sixth floor. They must have thought I'm just one of the kids of those business people. The door opened up, and I noticed that many of them carried Bibles, and they were walking into a seminar, a Christian service. I was just saved six months earlier. I was just a baby Christian. I was just learning to read the picture Bible. Actually, I'm very excited to tell you that event was organized by Canon James Wong, my pastor. Let's give Canon a big clap. That was organized by you. Remember, Canon? <laughs> there was a, a man manning the registration table. He looked at me and said, Hey, little boy, are you following your dad into this service? I said, my dad? No, my dad is not here. <laughs> he said, have you registered? It's $50 per person. I promise you this. No 11-year-old boy in the 1970s have $50 in the pocket. I said, sir, I don't have money, but can I stand here and just look? So I was looking at them, just going in, going in. And then there must have been a spark in my eye. He said, come here, come here, come here. He said, you really want to go in, right? I said, yeah, but I have no money. He said, I tell you what. I said, afterwards, two things are going to happen. He said, they are going to sing some praise songs. And then the second thing that will happen is that they will lift up their hands and close their eyes in worship. When they close their eyes and not looking around, you just run in as fast as you can. <laughs> it was my lucky day. True enough, they started singing. Now, some of you who are older, you remember? From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Yeah, this is a latest song from Hillsong, all you young people. It's the latest one. <laughs> just, just got out last week. Yeah. <laughs> and we were singing all the songs. And then, True enough, the second thing happened. They lift out their hands and close their eyes. The man said, run, run, run. And I ran as fast as I could. I sat in right at the front on the left-hand side. Right there. T-shirt, shorts, and slippers. <laughs> now, the place can only sit about 300 people. And, and they're all very distinguished-looking people. I didn't know until many years later. There was an American man that came all the way to Singapore. His name was Jim Baker. And he was rising up to be one of the top TV evangelists in the 1970s. I didn't know in that place was a Korean pastor that was becoming the pastor of the world's largest church called Yonggi Cho. And he came and sat in that meeting. I didn't know in that service was a 21-year-old, half-Greek, half-Arab young man who was there in that service, got his calling and found his wife. And his name was Benny Hinn. And there I was, 11 years old, in singlet, shorts, and slippers in the front. Why would people from all around the world 
come for this service. They came to listen to one elderly man called David Duplessis or Mr. Pentecost. God used him more than anyone else in the 1960s, 70s, to bring the charismatic renewal all around the world across many traditional denominations. He came up, he was already possibly in the 70s and like a grandfather in a three-piece suit. He was an old man, so he didn't scream, he didn't shout. He took out a small Bible and shared the verse that I printed in your sermon outline. The Holy Spirit is a helper, he says. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. And he began to take us through all the adventure of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was 11 years old, but I tell you, I felt goosebumps on my goosebumps. I got so excited. I have never heard of God so real. And then at the end of about 40 minutes of sharing, he said, how many of you want to receive the Holy Spirit? And I found my hand lifted up by itself <laughs> as did 300 delegates. He didn't scream. He didn't shout. He was an elderly man. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the moment he said that, as surely as I'm standing before you, church, there was like a river of living water that flow out of the stage and hit the entire place, seated right in the front. I started trembling and I almost fell under the power. For the next 15, 20 minutes, this 11-year-old boy was trembling and shaking and crying. And all I could say is, oh God, oh God, oh God. For the first time in my life, God jumped out of the pages of a picture Bible and he touched me. And my life was never the same ever again after that. Oh, come on, give Jesus a big hand. Give the Holy Spirit a big clap. Hallelujah. From that moment, I was hooked on the Holy Spirit. All the way growing up, I see friends in university, some are hooked on gambling, some are addicted to smoking, to drinking. Some are addicted to drugs or sex. I'm addicted to the Holy Spirit. Every single day, I just couldn't wait for the Holy Spirit to touch me again. See what did Jesus say over here? John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also should, will bear witness because he had been with me from the beginning. So Jesus encouraging them, saying, don't be afraid. Listen, it's for your advantage. I'm going away. Because he's going to help you. He's your helper, your comforter, your advocate. He will show you. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to reveal things to you that people don't know. He will work through you you will become a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. Now, by 1989, I was planning to be a missionary to the Philippines. By then, I already helped to plant two churches in the Philippines, and I helped Canon plant one in Singapore along Orchard Road. All three are still standing today. Let me show you some photos of my son in the Philippines. I, I showed them yesterday, last night. This is me. I was in the street corner. Now, I was, at this point, I was 22 years old. 22 years old. I had a backpack, you know, and I was crazy. I took my guitar, my backpack. I got $20 in my pocket. I bought a ticket, and I traveled all over the Philippines. I ran from Manila to Lawak City in the north, all the way down to General Santos City in the south. You know, I went on 13-hour bus journeys all by myself. It's crazy. Crazy for Jesus. Radical for Jesus. And with my friends, some of you are so shocked by the word radical. Have you heard of the word being radical for Jesus? I was radical for Jesus. I was willing to die for Jesus Christ. 22 years old. And, and I was at the street corner. And I was preaching, singing, telling people, come to Jesus Christ. Let me show you another photograph. Now, this is the church. Can you see Church of Our Savior? There's a church in Singapore by that name. And I helped Pastor Brian Shaw. He was an ex-drug addict. 
after he got saved, he went to Bible school. Came out of Bible school. He was less than one, two years as a drug addict. He started a church. So I went there to help him. Pastor Brian is amazing. He said, God, if you can help me stop smoking, I will serve you. That day he made that prayer, he stopped smoking. So he said, God, I got to keep my word. And, and today he has churches all over the northern part of the Philippines. I was there. There I was with the Filipinos. Let me show you another photograph. That's me, 22 years old, in my Batik shirt. Some kind of Batik shirt. Hey, I look young, huh? I was skinny. I was, I was 62 kilos. Scrawny, skinny. And let me show you another photo of mine. There I was preaching in, in the streets. You know, trying to look old. Bought myself a tie, trying to look older. At this point, I was 24 years old. So I, I've been there for three years. I was preaching. I, was, I thought, I'm going to be a missionary to the Philippines for the rest of my life. Going to marry a Filipino wife. Have a Filipino family, and for the rest of my life, enjoy banana sauce in Philippines. <laughs> Filipinos, you know that. I, you know, I tasted balok before. You know, fertilized, unfertilized egg. Because the first time I was there, all the Filipinos said, you want to be a missionary? This is your test. Eat balok. <laughs> I closed my eyes. I just, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> After that, won the Filipinos over. I, I got a, I'm a balok eater shirt. Hallelujah. Well, anyway, and one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Kong, go back. Go back to Singapore. I said, I want to be a, a missionary. I don't go back. He said, when you go back to Singapore, out of your church, you start a church, out of this church, I will do missions around the world. And it will be a mission church for the glory of Jesus Christ. So on May 7, 1989, we started City Harvest Church. At the instruction of the Holy Spirit, the first few years of City Harvest Church were very exciting. We grew very, very quickly, from 20 young people to several hundreds, very, very quickly. You know, I mean, it, it seems like every week we didn't need to do much. The Holy Spirit was drawing people into our baby little church. It seems like I used to joke, I blink my eyes, 20 people get saved. I blink again, 20 people. I just, from morning to night, just blink, blink, blink. <laughs> so easy, people are just getting saved. Soon we grew from 200 to 400 to 800. We were in the midst of a revival. The Holy Spirit was just setting our hearts ablaze. And then all of a sudden, we stopped growing. Our, our Sunday services on a good morning will just be at 800 on a bad morning. We can drop to 600, sometimes 500. I couldn't understand it. We had the music. We have the excitement. Let me tell you, everyone there is a young person. I mean, it's like Heart of God Church in Singapore today. I mean, all youth. We, they, we, were, we were on fire. Our, our songs, we sang so fast. We sang 15 songs in one service. Three times the normal speed. We are high on adrenaline. God is my refuge. God is my strength. You know, we used to sing. We had excitement. We are very exciting. We are very noisy, very loud. We had the cell group structure. We had the staff. We had the workers. But we didn't grow. God was teaching me one thing. The Holy Spirit was showing me having excitement is not the same as having the anointing. By 1986, I was really desperate. I was discouraged. I said, God, you need to give me a breakthrough. Holy Spirit, you called me back from the Philippines to build a church, but my church is not making a dent in the community. We are, not, we are losing the revival. All the excitement is getting stale. February of 1996, I was invited to go to Hawaii. See, the Holy Spirit was preparing me for a massive encounter. On a Tuesday night, I was not scheduled to preach. I was really discouraged. My church is, what, 800 people? I was not the main speaker. I'm not the night speaker for, for sure. I'm just one of the workshop speakers. So on a Tuesday night, I went to Pastor Art Sapa over there. I said, Art, is it okay 
you let me have an early night. I gave an excuse, I'm jack lag. But to be honest with you, I was discouraged. After dinner, Sun and I, we went up to our bedroom. Sun took out the Bible, sat on the bed to do her nightly quiet time, her nightly devotion as she would do every single day. I stood outside the balcony of the hotel room, small little hotel room. I stood at the balcony and it was a beautiful evening. I could see the entire Waikiki beach. But deep in my heart, there was a cry. I cry out, I say, Father, Father, God, please show me how to bring a revival to my generation because we are dying as a church. I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, for the next one hour, I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that totally transformed our ministry. You know, we always read about the glory cloud and true enough, that night is like a cloud from heaven came into the room and the whole balcony was saturated with a mist. I turned around and Simon was prostrating. I don't on the floor on the bed, I cannot remember. And she was weeping. She was crying. And I knew that I knew that I knew I was in a God moment. The Holy Spirit started talking to me. One hour started talking to me. God made to turn. You heard this story so many times. Matthew 22. And it showed me two very simple truths. That we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, loving God wholeheartedly. And to love our neighbors as ourselves, loving people fervently. And that night, in essence, the Lord said to me, the Holy Spirit said to me, Kong, all the passion must lead to a compassion. All the passion must lead to action because excitement alone will kill a revival if a passion is not translated into soul winning. So the Lord spoke to me. He said, look, you got all the young people. You got to start winning souls. Loving God and loving people. Loving God wholeheartedly Loving people fervently, the two beams of the cross, you got to start reaching out to souls. And the Holy Spirit made me a promise. If you go back from here, from Hawaii to Singapore, and you build me a church that is without walls, by taking the anointing within the four walls of the church, channeling all the excitement and passion of the young people into the highways and byways, and build me a church outside the four walls of City Harvest. He said, by the end of this year, I'm going to give you such a massive revival, you're going to cross 3,000 people. Now, remember, for almost five years, we have zero growth. I came back, and my heart was pounding. Because if I share with the members, and it didn't happen, I would lose every credibility. I mean, I stand here every week, and I tell you this, what the Lord says, and if it doesn't happen... My credibility is finished. I came back. We were meeting in Hollywood Theater in that time. And I shared with the church. A massive spiritual faith explosion took place. God kept His word. We went to the highways and byways, shared the gospel. And Hollywood Theater was situated not in a good neighborhood. On one side is the Jew check gang-infested areas of the 90s. On the other side is the beginning of the Geylang Red Dyke District. We started reaching out people everywhere. We reach out to the gangs. We reach out to the brothels. We reach out to people in the schools. And we begin to reach out. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit is honest. The Holy Spirit never breaks a promise. In 10 months, from March to December, we crossed 800 to 3,200. God kept His word. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Amen. I came back with a prophetic word, and it happened. But that was not the end of the miracle. The next year, from 3,000, we grew to 5,000, then 7,000, and then the next year, 9,000, and then the next year, 11,000. 
and 13,000, and 15,000, and 18,000, and 20,000, and 25,000. And by 2010, we have 32,000 for the glory of God. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. You are part of this miracle. You are here. Come on, give the Lord a big clap. How did it happen? I'm not so smart. But the Holy Spirit, He says, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work through you. By 2003, our congregation, we are now about, what, 15 years? And you know, the church always gets older with the pastor. So I was coming to my 40s. No longer a young man. Our church was beginning to age. People are getting married. March that year, in 2003, I happened to be in St. Louis, and I was speaking at Pastor Rick Shelton's Christian Life Center. In the service on the midweek, I, I believe it was Tuesday night, two teenagers came to the stage, scruffy-looking, barefooted, torn and tattered jeans. One of them probably was just a high school kid, maybe 14 years old. Another one was in college, maybe 17, 18. The pastor gave them a time to take the microphone, and they started praying. And they prayed for revival in their schools, in their colleges. I have not heard young people praying like this for so many years. Our church was getting older. They prayed. They said, God, Holy Spirit, come in your fire. Get my campus safe. Come and reach out to my class. And they were praying with all sincerity and fervency. And standing there, I started to tremble and shake. And I began to weep. I couldn't explain. I don't know why. I began to weep. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Kong, he said, I'm about to pour out a mighty revival among all the youths. You need to go back to your country and you need to have a youth revival. And from that revival, it's going to sweep throughout the whole of Asia. I couldn't understand because we started as a youth church. Now we are becoming quite a respectable, middle-class adult church. But I wept and I wept and I wept. The next morning, I couldn't focus on anything. My heart was aching for all the young people in, in Singapore. So I had tea with Brother Rick, Rick Sheldon. And I told him what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me the night before over tea. He looked at me and he said, Kong, he said, God is saying something to you. Kong, you're still young. Your church is still young. Please. And he started pleading with me. Please, don't make the mistake where like, like, all of us older pastors, to only wake up one morning and realize that the people you started with are now senior citizens. And you miss out a whole generation of young people. He said, you are privileged that as a young man, God is speaking to you. And he prayed with me. And we wept over tea. I called up my wife. I called up son. And I, I think at the time she was in Taiwan. I shared with her everything that, that, that God is showing me. And over a 24-hour period, the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, you need to go back. You need to have a youth convention. He said, and what you're going to do is that, and very funny things, ideas that I never thought of. You're going to have cheerleading. Cheerleading in church. You're going to get them to come, and they're going to sing. Now, American Idol just got started in 03. You're going to have your own American Idol. You're going to do things in an ultra-modern fashion, but it's going to be ultra-anointed. And he, I was trying to figure everything out. I called up son. I said, this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. What do you think? Son got excited. He said, yes, call it Emerge. That's how Emerge came about. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> call it Emerge. That's exactly 10 years ago. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Since 2003, Emerge has spread to Malaysia, to Indonesia, 
to Taiwan, to Hong Kong, to China, to Japan, to India. And next year, next year, Korea is saying, can we go over there and do an emerge? Because, I mean, it's so strange. Korea is leading the young people in pop culture. But they want us to go there and help them to bring a revival among the young people. Let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah. Oh, you're on the clamp. Let's give the Lord a big hand. You see, what did Jesus Christ say? The Holy Spirit will testify of me and you will bear witness. That means the Holy Spirit is going to work through you. Now, go with me to Acts 13 and let's look over here at verse 1 about the Holy Spirit. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetriarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said. So the Holy Spirit loves to speak very lovingly, very clearly. If we just take the time to come into deep communion with Him and take the time to listen, the Holy Spirit speaks. There are things He wants to say, and His guidance is always very precise, very accurate and spot on. About 10 years ago, one Monday morning, Sun and I were having our day off. And we were at the Far East Plaza. And Sun was in a, a, a tailor trying to get her alteration for her clothes. While I was waiting, you know, I mean, it's very boring for a husband while the wife is doing tailoring. I was standing there, standing there thinking, man, my Monday rest is flying real quick. And suddenly, I just heard the Holy Spirit. He whispered into my ears and said, give son's dad a call. He is not well. At that point in time, my father-in-law was not a Christian yet. <laughs> son was changing in the dressing room. I said, should I give your daddy a call? I think he's not well. Son said, that's strange. Daddy was really strong. I mean, he's, he's okay. And I said, he's sick. He needs to see a doctor right now. The Holy Spirit just, just told me. And she said, look, my dad, he's Mr. Macho Man. Even if he's sick, he will not see a doctor. You know, he's, he's just that kind that will never, you, you will never get him to a hospital. Unless he has an accident, he will not go to the hospital. I said, the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm going to call him. So I called up my father-in-law. I said, Daddy, how are you? He was surprised Monday morning, you know. Yes, I'm fine, Kongi. Is everything okay? I said, Daddy, tell me, is everything all right with you? He said, strange you called. He said, this morning I came back from the market. I walked up a few flights of stairs. I was gasping for air. I don't know. I feel breathless. And my finger of late, the last one week, I feel like I have needles. It's numb. I couldn't breathe. I said, Daddy... You are sick. I got to get you to see to the hospital right away. Of course, I didn't tell him, oh, my father-in-law, my father-in-law, the, the Lord was, I didn't. I was just very normal. I said, you know, you got to go to the hospital. I bring you to the hospital right away. He said, yes, please come and get me. I put down the phone. I turned to my wife. Your dad is fine. He said, I can take him to the hospital. So I was shocked. So I, after that, I, I went and take him. I called one of my friends who is a specialist in the hospital, and I took my dad there, my father-in-law. He went right in. They did the blood test. The doctor said this, if you had come just five days later, you would have a massive heart attack because there are at least three to four areas in your heart that severely block. Immediately that night, rush him to the hospital, next day scheduled for a heart bypass. See, the Holy Spirit, spot on. My father-in-law would have died. But you know, God has a purpose in that. Before the operation, I said, Daddy, I said, it is the Holy Spirit that got me to call you 
because God loves you. Daddy, I know that everything's going to be fine. The doctor is a good doctor, but beyond your physical health, God wants you to have eternal life. Will you receive Him? Right there, without any hesitation, please pray for me. Konghi, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Come on, let's give the Lord a big clap. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a big hand. The Holy Spirit speaks. Turn to your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. It's not always so dramatic. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's very little things. Sometimes it's just tiny little things just to encourage you that He's with you. Just very little things. Things that you don't even think about. I'll give you one example. I'll give you one example. You know, I mean, we, we are not planning to have any kids because son had two miscarriages. We are not planning to have any. And then, when we are somewhere in Kuching for the crossover concert, you know, I mean, in fact, that the whole year we probably only did it once. That night, son got pregnant, you know? Some of you young people don't understand what I'm talking about. It's fine, it's fine, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So, so son was pregnant. Now, because I love my wife, and because we had a lot of fun together as a couple, I always wanted a girl. So I wanted a little son. Not S-O-N, S-U-N. I wanted a girl. I wanted a girl. So every time son said, you want a boy? Go, girl, girl, of course, girl. You know, a little boy, very difficult to handle. Girl is easy, sweet, nice. You know, you can doll her up. Boy, I got to take care, go and play football. Girl, girl, girl. So, you know, I, I shared the story before. She had a very difficult pregnancy, bleeding all the time. So every day as a spiritual husband, I lay hands on her stomach. She was very pregnant. Let's see how pregnant she was. I'll show you how pregnant she was. She was so pregnant. She was very pregnant, very pregnant. So I would be laying hands on her. And everybody said, you know, they, they all say this, if it is pointy, it is uh, a boy. If it's big, it's a girl. I can't tell because it's, it's so huge. You just can't tell. Pointy and big. So every night, I pray, I pray, I pray. One night, while we were praying, while I was confessing, suddenly I look at her and she looked at me. I, I mean, son, look at me, I look at her. And she said, uh-oh. I said, yeah, uh-oh. She said, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. I said, the Holy Spirit just said the same thing to me. What did he tell you? He said, it's going to be a boy. I said, I think so. It's going to be a boy. It's not going to be a girl. I was heartbroken. <laughs> I've been wanting to have a girl. It's a boy. And then that, that night, son had a dream. Or that week, son had a dream. We can't pinpoint now. And in that dream, she saw a little boy with a little finger, cheeky as can be, coming up and smiling and talking in very articulate way, really good talker, talking with your finger like this. <laughs> so son woke up and said, it's a boy, confirm it's a boy. Later that week, we went to the gynecologist and did the ultrasound scan. True enough, it was a boy. It was, and I tell you, after that, I got very worried. Oh dear, oh, I've been wanting a girl, a girl. I pray right now, this boy will not become girly right now because I want a girl some... <laughs> You know, you know what they say, right? Prenatal desires. Oh, you know. I say, oh God, forgive me, forgive me. Oh, I want a boy, macho boy, macho boy. Please, macho boy. Let him play soccer. Let him be strong. Let him be bold. Let him don't like dolls. No dolls. <laughs> Thank God we have a very boyish boy for the glory of God. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Now, what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to say the Holy Spirit speaks. And it can be very simple things. It can be very lighthearted things. But just to let you know that, that He knows, He cares. He's involved in your lives. Now look at Acts 16 and verse 6. It says, when they have gone through Perigia, to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After that, they came to Mysia, and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So the Holy Spirit, He guides. 
Sometimes He asks you to do things. Sometimes He stops you. And He gives you wisdom. So we are at Hollywood Theater. You know, and, and soon we outgrew the place. Still, we are looking for a new place. We, we didn't have a lot of money back then. So we are looking, okay, we, we got to have a place that's zoned for a church. And in those days, you wait two, three years before you have a plot of land. It's getting smaller and smaller, and all the churches will fight over one small plot of land. Finally, in 1999, we signed a contract. We got one piece of land that I was not excited about. <laughs> because it's in Jurong West. Jurong five minutes from the Tuas Second Causeway. <laughs> to be honest, I wasn't very excited about that. But never mind. The Holy Spirit allowed this to happen. I felt the leading of God, so I tried to be happy trusting in the Holy Spirit. And then one day, the architect came to me, and the architect said, Pastor, let me tell you this. I work out all the plans. This place in Jurong is less than one acre of land, less than one football field. And we have this 40% setback ruling in Singapore. That means you can only have an 800-seat chapel. Now, that really killed the deal for me. I mean, can you imagine? 800 seats. Here we are getting away from Tanjakatong, bad neighborhood, but at least it's near town, to go to a God-forsaken land in Jurong West. Sorry if you stay on Jurong West, but now it's more developed. But... Oh, man. So I'm having this argument. I said, no, you can't say this to me. Architect, you can't. Pastor, there's, there's no other way. This is the law. 40% setback ruling. You can only build 60% above ground. And, and mind you, 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 you got to have walkways. You have this. You have 800-seater chapel. Right there, as I have this argument with him, the Holy Spirit suddenly spoke through all the noise straight into my ears through my brain down into my spirit and said tell him you're gonna build this underground i thought to myself underground so by faith i said to him i said mr architect all right thank you for doing all your homework what if i built this underground i talked like i i, I knew it you know we built this underground yeah <laughs> He looked at me. He said, do you know it's going to cost three times more? Do you know the rock formation is so hard? We got to use big machine, if not explosive, or big machine to knock this thing down. And if we build this thing, the other surrounding building can have cracks and collapse. You know, do you know how hard it is? I said, I said look, can it be done? He said, I need to go back and check. I said, you go back and check. But do you have the money to pay? I said, my father is very rich. <laughs> my father is very rich. I think he really thought, I'm talking about my dad. I'm talking about my heavenly father. And how many of you know that's the truth? Father God is very rich. Hallelujah. So we built this thing. Dead free cash, $48 million. And the Jurong campus has become a wonderful blessing. Now just look with me, just one or two more verses and we are done, all right? Acts 20, verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. The Holy Spirit testifies, telling you or telling Paul, you're going to be chained up. But look at verse 24. Paul, what a, what a man. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So in April 2012, we are coming to the end of our two-year investigation. Now somehow, I got this idea, you know, I mean, maybe because of rumors and all that. I got this idea that there is a statue of limitation or something. Maybe I hear it from other countries and all that. That, that within two years, if investigation, you've got to get charged. Because otherwise, then the case is dropped. So we are in April 2012. Just one more month to go. 
I was feeling high, like, wow, coming to an end, hallelujah, it's going to end. It's going to end. I was really like, oh God, oh God, we are near the finishing line. God, just a few more weeks and freedom at last. April 20th, I was, it's a Friday, I was on the plane to fly to Taiwan. So I was sitting in Singapore air and I happened to sit at the wrong seat. I think I was tired. So one man came and said, excuse me, I think you have a wrong seat. I look up at him, he looked at me. It's an old friend I have not met for almost 20 years. Old friend. Say, Kong. I mentioned his name. (laughs) He's a prophet of God. A prophet. A known prophet. I say, how have you been? He said, oh, I've been reading about your case. I say, hey, got prophecy? Better give me. (laughs) So we exchange seats. I sat on my seat. He sat across the aisles. And then, suddenly, the Spirit of God came upon him. Cut long story short. He turned to me as the plane was about to take off. He said, Kong, the, the investigation is not over. He says, it's going to get even darker before it gets brighter. Your deliverance is not yet. It will come, but it's not yet. I was so angry. I wanted to get thee behind me. You false prophet. <laughs> Early in the morning, you want to spoil my day? I bind you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, you know what, Kong? It's, it's not ready. You are not ready for your deliverance. You have not raised up enough intercessors in your church to pray. He says, until there's an arsenal, or in, the word used, arsenal of intercession that rise up from City Harvest Church, your deliverance will not come. The work of God is not done yet. So it's going to drag on. He said, you're going to go through and just persevere. It will drag on. Oh, I tell you. True enough, it happened. End of June, I was being hauled up and taken to court. But thank God, the Holy Spirit testified to me on the plane, guiding me, giving me wisdom. So when it happened, while while there was a lot of shaking, I knew I have an inner peace. Okay, God, time to raise up an arsenal of intercessors. Shortly after I was charged in court, Simon was suspended. So she was suspended. She cannot take any position in church, cannot be a leader, she cannot sing overseas, cannot do stuff here. So, by 2013, in the early part of March, I believe it was in March, we had to decide what to do with her suspension. Every lawyer, different lawyers got different ideas. And I was really confused. I just didn't know what to do because I don't want to offend anybody, least of all the authorities. I was very uncertain. So I prayed, Holy Spirit, you've got to give me wisdom. You've got to give me wisdom. So I prayed, I prayed. Over a series of nights, the Holy Spirit said to me, do this, do that, say this, say that. So I make a series of decisions. And the Holy Spirit gave us a word. He said, by May, something is going to happen. May 13, I was in the lawyer's office, meeting the lawyers, 30th floor up there somewhere in Shenton Way. My phone rang, rang, rang. I was in a meeting. Keep ringing. I look, it's a foreign number. Foreign number. So I said, you guys got to excuse me. I went out to the corridor. I picked up the phone. And it was one of my intercessors from Korea. And he said, look, I got to call you urgently. The Holy Spirit wants me to tell you this as we pray. Tell your wife, from tonight, all her burden will be lifted up. And what she's burdened with will be gone. The yoke is broken. About four o'clock in the afternoon, I called son. I said, I don't know how to make out of this, but you know, I just tell you, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Son said, oh, oh, good Lord. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. Put down the phone. One hour later, my, the lawyer's office got excited because the authorities just released the news. Son's released from a suspension. One hour exactly later, 
It happened. Oh, come on, give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. I want to end tonight. I, I, I know my time is gone telling you stories. But what I'm trying to get at to you is this. The Holy Spirit is, is amazing. You need to walk with Him. He is the secret to whatever problem you're going through. In your business, in your career, in whatever you're going through. The Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, is the greatest encourager. If you feel discouraged, you need the Holy Spirit. More than you need your friends. You need the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 verse 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you may abound. That means you are overflowing in hope. Who is the one that's going to give you the power of hope? The Holy Spirit. So you know, last story, you know that, last story and a few closing points, okay? Just, yeah. You know that, that the, four years ago when, when this whole thing happened, for eight months, I was in severe depression. I was in severe, severe depression. I felt publicly humiliated. I felt hopeless. I felt shamed. And I was in Korea. And the Holy Spirit moved a prophetess to see me in a prayer meeting. Prophetess have never met me before. It's why intercessors... We have become good friends ever since. And suddenly he said, oh dear, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me to tell you, brother, he, he didn't know I was a pastor. He said, brother, you're in the midst of a court trial. Decisions are, or people are deciding what to do with you. And he began to, this, 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 this. this I was like, wow, I don't know you. You seem to know everything about me. And then he said, the Holy Spirit has a question. Why sunglasses? Sunglasses. Everybody in the room like, couldn't understand. What do you mean sunglasses? Why sunglasses in the night? Why sunglasses when you go to the mall? Why sunglasses at home? Why sunglasses when no one is looking? Why sunglasses? Nobody knew. Except possibly my wife and my PA, Eric. Nobody knew. Because for eight months when I'm in severe depression, and God allowed me to go through that, because at least now I know how depression feels like and how having suicidal tendency feels like. Eight months, I felt so humiliated. Every single day, I wore sunglasses. Every single day. <laughs> You're distracted by my sunglasses. I wore sunglasses in the mall. I wore sunglasses in the night. 10 p.m. in the night, I was wearing sunglasses. I wore sunglasses in my own living room because I was so depressed. It is my way of protecting myself. Somehow I got a crazy idea. If I can't see you, maybe you can't see me and you don't know me. And my wife used to laugh. She said, you wear sunglasses at night. People surely will look at you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But this is me. This is me. It's just my way of protecting myself. And then the prophetess said, Come, take out your sunglasses because God wants to see your face. He said, He is the glory and lifter of your head and the righteous will never be put to shame. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a big hand tonight. Give the Lord a big clap tonight. Hallelujah. 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 The righteous will not be put to shame.
See, the Holy Spirit, He knows everything. Even some stuff that nobody knows, like sunglasses. He cares. He cares. That's why every morning I wake up, I say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Come, let's go for an adventure today. I'm excited every single day. And that is the reason why I took up my sunglasses. Notice, when I go to court, I no longer have a Boisong face. <laughs> when I go to court, I look at the camera and I smile because I just know the Holy Spirit wants to see my face. <laughs> Come on, let's give Him praise tonight. I just want to end by sharing with you one last verse and then we are done. First Thessalonians 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. How many of you want to receive more of the Holy Spirit? Lift up your hands. Now, notice what it says over here. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. And this has to do with the Holy Spirit. Write this down tonight. Of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has the office of holiness and purity. In fact, it is used in His name to describe Him. He is called the Holy Spirit. Only the pure in heart shall see the Lord. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, when Israel is backsliding, doesn't matter how much prophecy they hear, it's not going to work because their hearts are unclean. If you want the Holy Spirit, you've got to get rid of every impurity. You've got to get rid of every uncleanness. doesn't mean that you've got to be sinlessly perfect, but in your heart, you've got to say, God, I want to walk right with you. Tonight, shall we all stand out on our feet right now? And that's the end of this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us at connect at chc.org.sg 